Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Our series of wellness conversations continues today with a special focus on how to start the long-term care conversation. We're fortunate to be joined today here in UBS studios by caregiving expert Lee Woodruff for some tips and guidance around this very important topic and how best to approach it. Lee is joined for the conversation by Leah McCormick, Senior Strategist with Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services here at UBS. Here is their conversation. Lee, thank you for speaking with us today and the realities of caring for loved ones. I feel a bit like a, a combat veteran about uh, to talk to you about the realities of war, having watched uh, Saving Private Ryan as my source of knowledge. So uh, <laughs> bear with me. The hard reality for most of us is that at some point in our lives, we will be caring for aging loved ones. You know, like preparing for an approaching storm, there are actions we can take to reduce the impact and help us weather the challenge. I know you have been extremely transparent sharing your journey in writing and speaking. And thank you again for sharing your personal experience with us today. Honored to do so. I think it's all about preparation, isn't it? Yes. Uh, well, and, and a number of our articles out there are centered on things that we can, we can put in place. Um, my first question really, Lee, is that you've been caring for loved ones for many years. Your husband, following his traumatic and debilitating injuries sustained in Iraq from the roadside bomb, and more recently, you know, both your parents. In our recent paper, Caring for Aging Loved Ones, we provide practical advice and considerations for those walking the caregiving path. Often our decisions to take on the role of primary caregiver can be driven by the financial necessities, but also a deep sense of obligation to those that we love. It's almost impossible to comprehend or even consider the emotional capital required to sustain the journey that lies ahead. How have you managed to replenish the, the emotional well over the years when obligation and, and duty or you know, physical courage resources have been exhausted? Are there any you know, practices of self-care that have helped replenish the well? There are. And I, when I think about what are the elements that really sustained me, and let me also say here that no emotion is wrong. So for every caregiver who does this with love and those who do it with lots of resources and those who don't, anger, uh, resentment, all of those emotions are honest and real. And I think when you can acknowledge that and acknowledge that maybe your tank is getting really full, that's the first step. And then beyond that, I mean, it's probably the same things that sustain others during other moments of stress. And one is, to me, an incredible friend network or people that I could just complain to, for lack of a better word, that would listen to my struggles. And certainly people who have gone through something and maybe are a few steps ahead of you, that is a very valuable thing. And then if I were to only pick two top things besides being able to, you know, step away, of course, get outside, just go in the backyard if that's all you have accessible to you, but just change your aperture. Uh, and the third thing, uh, which would have been number two, is sleep. Man, there were just days I wanted yeah. to throw up my hands and just say, oh my gosh, how can I do this anymore? And what I would do is give myself my own advice that I always gave my children. If you're having a bad day, 
just go to bed and it will all look different in the morning. Oh, splendid. I love that. You know, it's the, the old advice of just sleeping and uh, facing a new day tomorrow, but also acknowledging our emotions and that no emotion is wrong um, and just to accept it and, and move forward. Thank you. Collaboration is often key to successful provision of long-term care. And I heard you mention there are other people who had been involved, friends along the way. Um, and avoiding conflict in the emotional and stressful decision-making can be challenging. What have you found to be successful when working with, with your siblings or with children, supportive friends, and also the, the healthcare professionals that are also alongside you when coordinating care have you found any strategies to help share responsibilities? Because you know sometimes there are people who want to help, others who may want to help but don't know how to help, and others who feel ill-equipped to help. Have you found anything that was useful um, building that collaboration? I have. I think getting out in front of it and being thoughtful about what's coming down the pike before it's hitting you. You don't, you want to be thoughtful in what I call peacetime, not wartime when somebody's, you know, falling apart and you're having to make decisions. And I think the second thing is play to people's strengths. So you're never going to have among siblings. It's never going to be even. You just have to recognize that that's an impossibility. There's going to be somebody who's more the nurturer. There's going to be somebody who lives closer to mom and dad or has more time to go do the doctor's appointments. So once you recognize that, then you can begin to separate out what are the things that you can do to help that one person who's probably got a little more of the burden. It, it may be as equal in thirds as it can be, but it's never going to be a perfect pie. So what are the things that you can take off that person's plate that maybe don't involve you getting in the car and driving for four hours? And how can you also acknowledge your gratitude toward that sibling down the road uh, in small ways? The cookies, uh, flowers. My sister and I would send flowers to the one sister who was closest to my mother and would take most of the frontline things because she was 15 minutes away. So trying to be mindful that, you know, nobody asked for this typically. And it, it does really take everybody to throw in. Thank you. I, I think that's a common theme here with amongst siblings. Proximity to the one being cared for often means they carry more of the burden, whether they are equipped to do that or, or not. So thank you for sharing that. What about financial um, disparity as well? Because within family and within siblings, it can be, you know, some siblings may want to just pay for care while others say, well, no, I'm going to take mom in or dad in. I'm going to live with me. Have you found any ways of dealing with, with those financial disparities? Because that can sometimes cause tension as well. Oh, I think it causes so much tension. And that's, of course, we're getting out in front of this, having the discussion. If your parents aren't initiating it, how can you initiate it in a non-threatening way mm -hmm. um, and, and coming at it from a place of love? Mom, Dad, what do you want when yeah. this time comes? And, of course, yeah. doing it before the time is there so that they can feel like their their voice is the one that matters. And that would, would help ward off the, the situation that you just described, which is probably all too common, um, where somebody's trying to decide what Mom and Dad would have wanted because they can no longer speak for themselves. 
Those are I've seen some gnarly situations with siblings around the wish wishes part of things, and all I can say to to everybody listening and, and everybody who's a, a client uh, at UBS is have the conversation. It is the surest way to make this go easier. It's never going to be easy to talk about mortality, but the alternative can be really ugly. Yeah, thank you. I, 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 I hear a repeating theme here of you know, getting out ahead of things, you know, planning, but having conversations, which is, is key. And what our team do is try and have those conversations. Is there anything... Having conversations with your parents and with your, and with your siblings, is there anything now you wish you could have changed uh, around the care that they received, or you know, was there a conversation you wish you'd had, you know, prior to their decline? My parents really, I, I give them high marks. They had thought through everything. They were financially independent and directed their, you know, abilities to to take care of that, so we wouldn't have to. The thing that I missed was when my father began to really exhibit the inability with daily life skills, and my mother wanted to, of course, protect his dignity, so wasn't talking to us so much about it. We weren't living with them, so we didn't, you know, we didn't see it day to day. And it got to a point where she, he needed to move to the next level, and she felt like it would be a failure to to tell us that she could no longer care for him. So all that to say. It's a hard conversation to have when the child becomes parent, but how can you begin to just sort of check in um, on some of those issues if you see something beginning to change? I understand the need to preserve the dignity as a parent and not seem incapable to your children, but there's a point at which it's a, a, the tipping point goes too far in the wrong direction. And my mother honestly ended up needing some uh, a break in with mental care because she had just exhausted herself. And no one wants to get to that point. So I think it's asking questions in a curious way, not a accusatory way of your parents to make sure that you're trying to stay as much as you can ahead of a situation that's going to really need a change. Thank you. I think you highlighted two things which we cover in our paper. One is about the uh, obviously the emotional and physical toil it takes out on on someone caring for for, for their partner um, but also um, the knowing the illness as well and you talked about getting ahead of something you know, uh, dementia we mentioned in the paper but there's a balance between knowing too much about an illness and knowing all the possible outcomes but knowing the stages of dementia and so being prepared for when you see those transitions, what, what's coming up so it's not a surprise can be, can be helpful. And hard, isn't um, it? Hard to think about educating yourself about a topic like that. But that's also where your healthcare professionals, you mentioned that earlier, can be a, a big help and being able to get the proxy to be able to have those conversations with their doctors is so important. Well, my final question really is one around technology. You know, technology continues to penetrate every aspect of our life and increasingly of our life cycle. Um, and I've seen the use of cameras in, in homes, uh, movement mats to detect when people get out of bed or moving around the place. And, you know, voice-activated speakers can help dementia patients, you know, remember to take the medicine or um, even, you know, down to tracking devices for those who, who wander. Uh, has, have you found any technology that's been helpful in your journey uh, with providing care for your loved ones? 
Well, you're probably asking the wrong question because my mother did not even own a cell phone or a computer. So um, (laughs) that made it challenging, especially during the pandemic. So we actually accessed, um, and it's it's like a Zoom, but it's something just called a portal, which couldn't have been easier. She all she had to do when she heard it ringing was just hit a green button. My mother could do that much in the technology field. And the ability for us to see her, it sort of had a fisheye lens and a camera, so we could see her in her home. We could see if things were sort of looking disheveled. She could see us. We put it on the table, and we would have dinner with her, quote-unquote. So I think the technology that allows you to be with someone as virtually as you know it may be uh, and see into their lives a little bit was what gave us comfort when we were unable to go visit her. And for anybody who lives far away from an elderly parent, you know, it's a wonderful, the gift of a video conference and all of that today, I think is a wonderful thing. Thank you. I think that's a, also a good reminder as well, how, how it can also be, um, it can also be uh, a challenge for us. I, I obviously you probably detected I live in, in America. I'm originally from the UK and I'm my uncle who has been unwell being able to see him and connect with him. He, he's not a technical guy, a technical guy either. So I didn't have many things, but just I, probably more from my side than his is being able to see him and, and engage with him. It was uh, a great uh, uh, comfort. And just, although it's stressful to see decline and to see people not who they, they are, it, it was extremely, as I say, um, helpful for me and our family to, to, to be also prepared for prepare for what was coming. So uh. I don't know what this is going to look like in the future, but I do, I am starting to read things, especially for caregivers, about the whole AR, VR side of technology coming, whether that's the metaverse or just the ability to put on one of those 3D headsets and go take a tour of the Louvre or go to mm-hmm. Sicily, and whether it's respite for the caregiver or a sense of calming for the patient. And maybe that's accompanied with music, you know, from the big band era when dad was, you know, swinging his girl. But I think a lot of that sort of technological advance for respite and for just calm may be a huge benefit to future generations. Thank you. Yeah, I, I can see how that would be very beneficial. Well, thank you for, for dropping in and uh, sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. And um, we really appreciate um, your knowledge and just opening the door to what many people have not experienced, but as I said at the start, lies ahead for for many of us. So thank you. Well, thanks for having the conversation. It's so important. For more on this topic, please be sure to reference two UBS reports, Caring for Aging Loved Ones from Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services and the Modern Retirement Monthly publication, Long-Term Care Costs and Solutions from the UBS Chief Investment Office. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 